Well, welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining Talking Bass in PDX, the warm water forum as we talk bass fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. Well, I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the podcast. This is your forum for bass and warm water fishing. Talking Bass in PDX is sponsored by Peeler Custom Fishing Rods. We'll hear a bit more about Peeler Rods when we get to page two. My guest on the show today will be Emily Frack. She's a kayak angler and fishing with the Columbia River Bassmasters. It's an interesting story how she got fishing in the first place. But I'd like to start things off with a personal story. Back in 2021, I lost a dear friend and fishing buddy, Rich Tomlinson. You probably heard him on the show a couple of times. Shortly after his passing, I started to work on a memorial project for Rich, and it has just been completed, and I would like to share that story, the story of the bench. You know, I just wanted to talk about Rich in a few simple words, what friendship meant to me. Rich was a friend that I could talk to. We each spent time together. We trusted each other, and when one of us needed help, the other one was always there. You know, friends are people that can be looked up to and trusted. Well, on my first outing with the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club that I had just joined, oh, some 10 or more years ago, this all started with my boat tied to the dock at Rogers Landing out on the Willamette River. Other folks were getting their boats ready to go, and a guy walked up to my boat, and ask, hey, how you rigged up? Well, I held up my rod, and there was a shiny trout lure on it. My partner that was in the boat had a similar lure, and at that point, we had not been introduced yet, but Rich and I were about to begin a friendship. Rich said, hang on, let me get you a couple things and see if I can get you on track. Well, I had live worms and a couple crankbaits in my bag, but I had never been on the Willamette River. I had no clue that there were even bass in the river. All I could see was fast-moving water. Rich came walking back to my boat. He had two plastic worms and two hooks and said, Here, let me tie these on for you, and this will get you back on, tr on track. Well, by the way, it didn't help. It took me the rest of the year for Rich to teach me how to use plastics, and that was my introduction to Rich Tomlinson. Like I said, that meeting happened more than 10 years ago, and it started a friendship that will last forever. You know, Rich took pride in teaching others. I saw him mentor many, many people on how to fish the upper Willamette, along with Hag Lake. And Rich enjoyed just the adventure of living life, along with fishing and helping. He was always willing to participate in community fish events. Most of them happened out at Hag Lake. I can recall many times that we were out there and had so many had so many kids on our boat, we didn't know what to do. But Rich loved those days and would always come off the water with such a great smile. No matter how tired he was, he had a great time. You know, Rich shared many spots with me out at Hag Lake, showed me where to fish, and I caught many fish with him. But the most fun we had was when we were fishing the Willamette River from the Newburgh area on to downtown. Rich had so many spots that he would stop in, and we fished for days and days on the river. Thank goodness I had GPS in my boat, and I've marked many, many of those spots. 
Rich and I would talk and we would laugh, but Rich loved to go out and eat. And eat we did. I remember going out to dinner with Rich many times, and that was great fun, but I'll never forget a time when Rich and I decided to start kind of a breakfast club. Oh, we'd gone a time or two, and Rich asked, Hey, can we invite some other folks to breakfast? Well, well sure, of course we can. And the next Saturday, we had at least one or two others. I remember that uh, one of our club members, Joe, was there, and it had been a running thing between Rich and I, that we'd been trying to get Joe on the board for Oregon Bass and Panfish Club. But we had breakfast, talked about the week events, talked about fishing, talked about what was going on. Never brought up the board because, well, Rich and I were there to have breakfast. Well, at the end of the breakfast, Joe stands up and says, Well, guys, when are you going to give me the sales line on being on the Oregon Bass and Panfish board? Well, Rich and I just started laughing so hard, neither one of us could say anything. And finally, one of us said, well, we're just here to have breakfast. And that breakfast went on for many years until, of course, we had the 2020 shutdown. And that's what ended our breakfast club. And, of course, we want to get it started again. And it was great fun to share those stories on Saturday mornings. Well, I have so many stories about Rich, and some of them will just great belly laughs and make you laugh like crazy. If you're ever at the boat ramp and see me or you're out on the water and you see me, ask about Rich. I'm sure I'll come up with some funny story that he and I did or tried to do. It was the greatest to have him around. If you ever met Rich, you had a friend for life. Many people get honored with street names and cities and signs. You know, but Rich wasn't that kind of guy. When Rich's friends presented me the idea of honoring Rich with a memorial bench dedicated to him at his favorite fishing spot, the answer came very quickly. I knew that I had to get on it. Well, in July of 2022, with the help of Rich's family and the help of several of Rich's friends, we have placed a bench next to Boat Ramp C out at Hag Lake. I would also like to thank Washington County, along with Ranger Emily, for helping me get the site prepared, getting the site, and getting the bench installed out there. They were very helpful. Well, if you ever make it out to Hag Lake, stop over at Boat Ramp C. Looking from the ramp, look over to the west, about five feet, you will see a big blue bench. And don't just take a look at the bench. Go over and take a seat. Relax for a few minutes. You'll be looking at one of Rich's favorite spots to fish. Take a few more minutes to reflect on your favorite mentor or friend or someone you just want to think about. I am sure that you will feel better than before you sat down. Enjoy the bench out at Hag Lake. Well, thanks everybody for letting me share with you the story of the bench. I hope that everybody can stop out at Hag Lake and enjoy the bench just the way that I have. And now on to page two. The most important equipment you have when you are fishing is your rod and reel. If it's time to replace that old rod or upgrade it, let Peeler Fishing Rods build you the best so that you can catch your personal best. 
Brandon and his team make the process very easy. Start by visiting their website at peelerfishing.com. Check out the custom bass rods, freshwater rods. PFR can even make that custom salmon and steelhead rod that you're looking for. Next, click on the build form so that you can start building that custom rod. From custom grips, custom guides, and even custom thread wrap colors, don't forget PFR can personalize your new rod with custom decals. As you're looking through the rod collection, don't forget to click on Fish Bum Apparel. They have long sleeve and short sleeve tees along with great looking hoodies. As you're looking through their collection, don't forget the artwork is great. Don't wait to start building your custom rod today at peelerfishing.com. Do you have an older rod that needs updating? Email Brandon and his team and they'll put new life into that old rod with new custom guides and new decals. And of course, all PFR custom rods come with a lifetime warranty. Best of all, you're buying local right here in Oregon. For all the talking bass in PDX listeners, use code fish to catch at checkout for a 25% discount on your new custom rod. Please visit peelerfishing.com and tell them that you heard about Peeler Fishing Rods on Talking Bass in PDX. I know Brandon and his team are looking forward to building you that one-of-a-kind custom fishing rod. Now, let's get back to the show. Let's get right to Emily's interview. She has some great fishing stories, and she has a co-angler's best practice sheet that she goes over that I think would help anybody that goes onto someone else's boat or who is a co-angler. And so let's get right to it. Well, Emily, I'd like to welcome you to the show this afternoon. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this was an exciting interview for me also because I actually heard about you over a year ago that you had gotten into tournament fishing. So it'll be really interesting to ask you a few questions and to hear some of your stories. Well, first of all, let's kick things off (laughs) by asking how did you get into fishing in general? Sure. Well, I'm surprised you heard about me that long ago because um, I feel so new to the sport. Um, I've only been doing it since 2020, but my history um, of fishing before that, my family moved to the Columbia River Gorge um, in 1952. And so we've, um, we've been around a while and fishing a while in the Columbia River Gorge. My um, grandfather moved here from Wisconsin back then in the 50s and helped work on the dams. He helped work on the Bonneville Dam and the Dow Dam uh, for the Army Corps of Engineers, as well as helped with some developing around the Columbia River, like LePage Park and Horse Thief Lake Park. Um, and so the history of my family fishing in the Columbia River goes back 70 years. So I've, I grew up hearing about um, the sturgeon fishing and, you know, trout fishing, and they, they dabbled in some salmon and steelhead, but mostly sturgeon and trout. And my grandma, my grandma Daisy, she loved to fish. She would have my grandfather drop her off as he went to work, and then he would pick her up on the way home. She didn't drive, and she would just spend all day fishing. So 
fishing growing up for me, I lived in the Dalles growing up, and I didn't know what a wonderful bass fishery we have. Um, now I know, but back then I didn't know. Sometimes my friends and I would go pike minnow fishing for money, you know. But other than that, not really a lot of fishing sometimes with my dad. But um, during the pandemic in 2020 is where I really got started. We went camping um, along the North San Yan River above Detroit Lake. And that river is cold and it is moving fast that I had heard that there's good fishing in there. And I didn't know exactly how to tackle it. So I jumped onto YouTube and looked up how to catch those trout. Well, I um, went back to that river and was successful. So I was like, whoa, what, what, what other kinds of fishing can I do, you know? And um, so I got on YouTube and I came across this, this young lady's page and her handle is uh, Maddie up north and she had a kayak. And she was fishing in Minnesota for these giant muskies all by herself. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I went out and got myself a kayak. I'm like, well, I don't really like cold water because <laughs> it's cold. What can I do in the summer? You know, can I go out there when it's warm in the summer? And so then I stumbled across bass fishing. My kayak got delivered and I got some baits and I just kind of went on the Willamette and caught my first bass with a crappie lure. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but I still did it and it was so much fun. So um, I really needed something to get out of the house during uh, COVID because I have two small kids and it was, it was a lot of work, you know, there wasn't a lot of daycare options. School had shut down. Um, I did first grade with my son pretty much, you know, all year. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. So getting out there um, fishing was really a way that I could kind of just blow off steam and, and connect with being outside and also connect with my family heritage. You know, I can really feel like I'm, I'm continuing on those family roots, you know, by being out there and catching some fish. So that's my story <laughs> as far as how I get uh, fishing. Well, that's great because you've got such great memories to look back on as you remember the, the years of uh, living up the river and fishing for a variety of, of species before you finally centered in on bass and you know, when people tell me how they've learned how to how to catch bass, the one thing about the Northwest that I tell them is, is uh, sh be quiet. Don't tell the rest of the world what a great fishery we have here in the Northwest because they're, they're everywhere. They're in the Willamette system. They're in the Columbia system. And then we have lakes all around, uh, which I'm sure you and I will be talking about some of those lakes that you've been tournament fishing in. So now you've got your kayak and you're... <laughs> yeah. You've got your kayak and you're doing some fishing. Now, how did you get into tournament fishing? How did you find that that group and how did you get into it? Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm telling my dad um, and they, my parents still live in the Dalles and um, telling him about how much fun I'm having, just kind of getting out there and learning stuff. And he said, like, oh, well, they have tournaments, you know, down here at um, the Dalles Marina, like every weekend in the summer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> tournament fishing? For bass, for fish, you know, I, that just, I had never even thought about it, like having contests for fishing. And so um, I, you know, was kind of posting about it a little bit on Facebook and my, one of my old high school friends, Eugene Branham, who's also a member of Columbia River Bassmasters said, hey, why don't you check out this bass fishing club? You know, I think that you'd like it. And, you know, calling, we do, we fish as a team and 
that would probably be a good um, environment for you to kind of learn some more things. So the next season in 2021, I just kind of dived in first. I got a hold of our president at the time, Mark Forbes, and um, he was like, yeah, come to a meeting. And they were still on Zoom back then. So um, I just kind of jumped in head first and went for it. It was, it was intimidating and I was really nervous before my first tournament, but um, it's been a blast. It has been so much fun. So definitely no regrets getting into it for sure. And you've won a couple of tournaments, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, well, as a team, this is a team, like I said, on Columbia River Bassmasters. So uh, we won, I've placed a few times last year. I won a tournament with um, someone you've interviewed before, Bob Judkins, last uh, last October. He and I won out of Celilo. And then most recently, uh, this year, uh, 10 Mile Lake, I had the privilege of fishing with Ed Hodges. Um, he's out of Eugene. Uh, he used to be an Emerald Bassmasters, but um, now he's with us. And we, we got to just have our two-day tournament there at 10 Mile Lake and I learned so much, and it was so much fun, and we did end up winning that tournament as well. Um, each day, we were getting about 11 pounds. Or no, the first day, we had 11-pound bag, and then the second day, we had a 13-pound bag. So we did end up winning. That was really fun. Well, that's great fun when you're starting off in a, you know, your sophomore season and, and uh, you know, you're, you're getting, uh, getting paid a little bit to go out and, and have some fun. You know, one of the things that you said I kind of want to circle back with, and that was that you've learned so much. You know, what I hear a lot about is that tournament fishermen typically don't want to tell you what they're doing, but it sounds like that the Columbia River Bass Masters Club is really helping you learn how to catch bass. Uh, have they taught you a few tricks of the trade? I mean, I feel like everything I've learned is from – one of the boaters at Columbia River Bassmasters. <laughs> I just have tried to like sit back and just be a sponge, you know, just like, Hey, what are you using? What are you doing? Why are you casting over there? Like what kind of structure is under us right now? You know, cause I didn't really know how to read the graph at first. Um, and now I can kind of do it a little bit um, better than I could before. And I know kind of what to throw at what structure and all of that kind of thing. I've learned either from um, someone on the club or maybe just a random YouTube video, but everyone in the club has been so free with their knowledge. And even last month when we were at 10 mile, um, my voter Ed Hodges, he said to me, like when we got back on the first day, he's like, Hey, if someone is asking you what's working, you're just going to tell them. We're not going to have any secrets because the point of this is to just go out there and have fun. We're not winning big money here, you know, for a club tournament. I think in the end we only won like a hundred bucks each, you know, it's not going to pay for your trip. <laughs> it's not going to pay for your boat expenses. But um, what we are here to do is have fun. And if we can have someone else have success from our knowledge on the next day, then, then we're going to, you know, pass that along to them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I tend to fish. Uh, I'm not a tournament fisherman. I'll admit that. I do tend to fish a lot on the Willamette. And I have actually been on the Willamette when there was a tournament there. It was not Columbia River Bassmasters Club. It was another club. And I have a spot that nobody else knows about, but it's right out in the middle of the river. And I actually showed uh, one of the tournament guys. He was near me. I said, hey, come over here. I'll show you right where the where there's fish at. And he dropped down and got 
uh, about a two and a half pound fish out of the, out of this hole that I know of. So yeah, it's, you know, just because you know how to do it okay. doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else is going to do it too. You know. Exactly. Yeah, and somebody may disagree with you on how to tackle that structure and break it down with what bait. So, um, but I feel like knowledge is definitely, you know, a culture of our club and, you know, passing that is just, it's just good morale for everybody to make sure that we all have fun and get out there and catch fish, which is the point. So. Yeah, that that is great. Now, as a co-angler and, you know, folks out there, I think everybody knows what a co-angler is. However, you know, if they don't, that means that you're fishing in the back of the boat. You don't necessarily have a boat or you don't have your boat there. So one of the things that as you and I were talking earlier about uh, doing the show is you have produced a co-angler best practices sheet. And I am excited to talk to you about that. So uh, why don't you go ahead, tell us how you developed it, tell us uh, some of the do's and don'ts, and, and if folks want a copy of this, they can email me, and I'll get them a copy of it. So I'll turn you loose on it. Absolutely. You know, knowledge is power, like I said, happy to share this if it, you know, helps somebody have a better experience out on the water. In Columbia River Bassmasters, when I first started, I, I was so intimidated about <laughs> getting on a boat with a with a guy I didn't know, you know, and um, I had no idea what to do. And I didn't know where to put my stuff. I didn't know how I was supposed to sit. I didn't know where to hang on, you know, all these things. So I feel like this this um, PDF will help people, uh, you know, if they decide to go out there and it'll help kind of, you know, get that going for them. What I did was I reached out to some of our co-anglers um, at CRB, and I said, hey, what, are the, what do you think are, like, your top five things that you do when you're on the boat, like, for best practices or etiquette, whatever you want to call it? And so they, everybody got back to me. I think I talked to, like, three or four co-anglers that I know of that are really great co-anglers um, and that they have, like, a great reputation for being on people's boats. And um, so the, this – PDF is a, is a collaboration with that and also with some research I did online with like, you know, more elite um, kind of tournaments and that, those co-anglers and how they act. So I've broken it down into do's and don'ts. And on the do's side, um, we start out with talking about money. You want to talk about how are you going to split those costs beforehand so that when you get through the tournament, nobody is feeling shorted or stiff, you know, you talk about who's going to pay for gas and how much, how, who's going to pay for the tournament fee and how much. Um, that way there's just nothing that's going to come up that's going to make somebody feel, you know, feel badly. Um, and then the next one is make sure that you're on time as a co-angler. I don't, I can't think of anything more mortifying for myself is to have all of the boats blast off and have my boater being waiting for me. I know it happens, like, with sleeping in or, you know, some car trouble, whatever that might be like that. Everybody understands stuff like that happens, but just, you know, if you're just running late, be sure that you're on time. I try to show up early, um, between 30 and 45 minutes, just to be there and make sure everybody gets their boats put in okay and just to be available. Um, and then when we get on the boat, I like to ask the boater, how do you like your fish netted? 
And it's interesting how some people are like, wow, I've never thought about that question before. But it is great to talk about because, you know, some people are like, well, I like you to put the net in the water and I will guide the fish to the net. Or, you know, don't, you know, don't stab at the fish. You want to make sure that we get that fish in successfully, you know, make sure we get the head in first and, and scoop real smooth so that we can have a successful fish landing and have that fish to be able to cull. And that's just a great icebreaker question, I think, when you get on the boat to kind of just start conversation too. Um, and then I kind of move in asking if casting in front of the boat is okay. Obviously, cutting your boater off from a great cast is probably not a great idea. That could really annoy them. But, um, you know, if you cast somewhat towards that direction, um, ask them if that's okay. Some people are like, no, I don't want you to cast past, you know, the boat steering wheel or, or something. And they have like some sort of line, <laughs> a line in the sand, if you will, as to like where they don't want you to be casting. But I've never had somebody just say like, Emily, you just cut me off. What are you doing? You know? So I try to be really considerate of where they're casting. Um, and ask them also about the boat rules and pet peeves they have. You know, if they're like, hey, don't, don't be touching, you know, um, any of the electronics on the steering or, um, you know, don't do this or don't do that. And so some people have preferences of what they don't really want you to be doing on the boat. So just asking a friend, like I said, it's going to help you have a better experience. And then we move on to gear. So make sure that your gear is clean and it's organized and that there's not too much. Um, I heard a story of uh, somebody had a co-angler on and he was helping them move this tackle box and he like, it was very heavy. And the guy was like, you have every single weight that you own in a tackle box? The guy looks up at him and says, well, yeah. <laughs> like that's probably not the most necessary thing. So make sure that you pack light so that, you know, you can keep your gear off to the side, that you're not having a whole bunch of stuff on the bottom of the boat that the boater is tripping over. Um, it's really important to, to keep your rods organized. Um, and then the next thing with safety and weather gear. So make sure you bring your own PSE if you can. I have been guilty of forgetting mine a few times. Um, and that's fine. Just If you bring your own, it's going to fit you better, and it's going to be better for overall safety. Um, but the boater will usually have one for you to use, but it's just better if you bring your own. And also rain gear. Um, you know, we have such an interesting microclimate in the Columbia River Gorge. And, you know, if it, even if it's a sunny day, you may want a raincoat to wear um, for when you're running in between spots because it gets pretty windy and you might get wet. <laughs> so having it on you anyway, even if it looks to be a bluebird sky day, is probably a great idea. So just be prepared for those, you know, those weather incidents. And then in the spring and fall, you may have those occasional rain showers that pass through you want to be prepared for. Um, and bring your own food and snacks, and, but not too much because boat coolers, I have found, are very small. Uh, so <laughs> if you have, like, extra drinks, maybe just put one drink in there and then switch it out throughout the day um, to, to save space in the cooler so you can cool a drink as you're, another drink as you're drinking one or, you know, things like that so you're not having a whole bunch of stuff in that tiny cooler. You're not crushing your boat or sandwich. <laughs> Sometimes I get worried about that. Um, when you are going from spot to spot, it is very helpful if you help watch out for hazards on the river. 
you know, in the spring, there could be moving debris in the water. The boater may not see. Or, for instance, last week um, I was on the river pre-fishing for our tournament upcoming this Sunday, and there were outrigger kayaks in the middle of the river that it was in a very, like, I've never seen a kayak that far out into the river. And it was very windy, so it was hard to see them, you know, when you're going up and down over the waves. So he was like, you keep an eye out port side, I'll keep an eye out starboard. And and so we just kind of, like, watched out, and I would point as, you know, I would see those kayakers to make sure we didn't hit anybody. So it's just, it's good to keep your eye out for hazards that your boater may not see. Uh, when you're when you're going, make sure you find your handles before you start, because um, if you start to go real fast or faster than expected, you may want to know where that handle is. Um, last year at our Stevenson tournament, we were blasting off, and my boater was trying to race to his spot. He wanted that spot. That was the spot we were going to start the day on, and I think we were probably going like 70 miles per hour, and I had no idea where my other handle was. I only had one handle. So I'm, like, holding onto the seat for dear life, and he had to, like, slow down. I'm like, oh, the handle's right here. Okay, thanks. And I'm like, okay, mental note. Next time, make sure I know where all my handles are. And speaking of, like, moving spots, make sure that you're ready to go because the boater doesn't want to be sitting in his driver's seat waiting for you to put the rod away and drop it down. So a good rule of thumb is to be sitting down before they are and to be the last to stand up once you get to a new spot. That way you have lots of, um, lots of time to make sure that your, your boater is not waiting for you. Or, to, yeah, your boater is not waiting for you that way. So I want to talk now about backing up a trailer with a boat on it. Make sure that you are upfront about your backing up abilities. Some people, like me, I didn't know how when we first started doing this. Um, last year, I had no idea how to back up a trailer. And now I can say that I can, I can do it. But it take, took a lot of practice to get there. And um, there's nothing scarier than backing somebody's, you know, thousands of dollar boat down the boat ramp. And like, maybe something could happen or you would hit something or maybe graze the dock. Like, just be upfront. If you're not comfortable with it, they would rather have somebody do it that is so that nothing gets damaged. Um, than, than to have you not say anything and accidentally damage something. And also with that too, make sure that you roll down your windows. I think this one came from um, a boater that told me to put this on here because there's nothing more frustrating than yelling at somebody that can't hear you when you're trying to say, okay, stop, you know, when you're backing down the boat. So just make sure those are rolled down so that communication is open. And then when you're walking Back from parking the trailer in the truck, um, make sure all the lights go out in the truck and that you have a key and you didn't lock it into the truck. Um, that way we don't come back to a dead battery or a situation where we have to call a locksmith to come open the door for a key. Um, and also when you're walking back from the boat, make sure you check your shoes and what you're walking in. Um, I also heard a story about somebody walking through some goose poop and then getting it all over a, bo a boat or you know, maybe the parks that you're launching from got the grass mode yesterday and now there's grass clippings all over your shoes and you're tracking it onto the boat. So just make sure you check your shoes before you jump onto the boat for the day. Don't want to start the day out by um, getting the boater's boat all dirty. Um, it's also a good idea before the tournament, if you need it, to ask for a seat because some boaters don't 
have, well, actually most boaters don't have that seat stored on their boat in small storage. So if, they, if you want that extra seat, they need to know that up front. So make sure you ask for that. And also just any other special needs you might need throughout the day. For me, I might need a bathroom break or two, you know, um, and somebody else might need something else. It's just great to have those talked about beforehand. And then at the end of the day, after you're done fishing, it is nice if you help back up the fish for land and to help when taking the fish for release. Um, I know some clubs, I'm not sure what it is for TBS, but I think for Columbia River, I think you have to take them like a half a mile out away from the launch so that you're not just, you know, letting them go right by the launch fish. So it's nice to go out order if you can and um, to help with that process. And then before you leave for the tournament for the day, Ask your boater if they need anything, you know, maybe they need help putting the, the boat cover on or they might want you to help rub down the boat to make sure there's no water spots or anything like that just to help um, to make sure that your boater is all taken care of before you, they leave for the day and, and to make them feel like they had a great, great experience with you fishing that day. Um, but I think the absolute number one thing that a co-angler should have is a positive attitude and to just be flexible. You know, it's hard fishing water that somebody's already fished and the fish behind them and to still catch fish. And sometimes, you know, it can be a grind. So just have that positive attitude, like you're out there fishing. This is what you're here to have fun doing. It's really in a club situation like this. It's not about making money. It's really not about winning either. It's just about getting out there with some friends and having fun to just keep that in the center focus. And maybe if you catch a fish, it's like a, you know, a triple extra bonus. <laughs> so that is an absolute must if you're a co-angler. Um, and then I have some don'ts to do as a co-angler. Um, there really aren't that many. And you may think, oh, these seem kind of common sense. But most of these are from boaters that have told me stories like, oh, my co-angler did this. My co-angler did that. And I'm over here like, really? Somebody did that? Well, maybe it's not common sense, you know? So um, our number one, well, it's just the first bullet point, is to don't step on the gunnels, the seats, or the boater's rods. I, I can't think how sad I would be if I were to break a guide on somebody's $600 rod or something. That would be so sad for me. I would never want to do that. So try not to do that, um, you know, it's, and watch for your stepping. It kind of goes along the lines of check your shoes too, but also don't leave a mess of grass or algae on the boat deck, you know, sometimes, you know, during the summer, we are fishing in areas that are really weedy and it's just inevitable. You're going to get some weeds and on your lure and you're going to be picking them off. Sometimes the whacking the lure in the water doesn't quite work. So you got to pick them off and just make sure they don't land on the boat deck and dry there, you know, kind of brush them off, make sure they get off. Um, and I also heard a story of somebody fishing and they caught a pike minnow and um, the co-angler did and the boater looked back and the co-angler was gutting the fish on his boat and not even like being cleaned about it. Like the fish guts were getting all over the boat. So um, try not to do that either. I don't think the boaters really like to clean up after co-anglers. So just try to be really clean and considerate. Um, and then this next don't is, I think it's more with like pro-am tournaments or elite, um, you know, elite tours, but don't be checking the live well all the time to risk a fish cup flying out. And this is the one I got, you know, online, but um, some boaters that, you know, you just don't want to be opening up that live well a whole bunch. Maybe here and there to check to make sure it's working and stuff, but not all the time. Just make sure you ask your boater, hey, is it okay if I open it and check or, you know, something like that. 
And then the next one is make sure that you don't smoke or chew tobacco without explicit consent from the voter. I mean, maybe that's cool with them. Like maybe they smoke too, or maybe they chew too. And that's something you guys can go out there and do together, but just make sure you have consent um, because those things can get kind of messy too. And also what gets really messy are dyes and scents. I know those work really well for small mouths and people swear by scents, um, but those can get real messy too. So just make sure that that doesn't get on the boat deck. But the two absolute things Coango should not do, and this is what keeps voters, I think, away from our club tournaments, are these last two don'ts, is do not share photos or videos on social media or anywhere else without explicit consent from the other person. It just doesn't look good, if they, especially if they actually told you not to post it. You know, their, their fishing spot might be in the background of that picture or video, so just make sure you, you, you absolutely know for a fact that it's all right with them to post that, thing, those, that content. And then co-anglers should never share fishing information, such as lures, spots, or techniques. And I feel like this is maybe not so much with my Columbia River Bassmasters, but just having that line of open communication with your boater, like, hey, this is great information. Do you mind if I share it? Um, you know, talking about that before you go off and post about it on Facebook or something is really what you should be doing. But um, I think that that is, you know, one of the number one things that keeps voters away from joining clubs is they feel like their spots are going to be taken or, you know, their co-angers are going to waypoint every, every time that they stop the fish, you know. So just make sure you're really considerate of that. And I think if you practice all of these things, you're going to go out there and you're going to have a really fun day on the water and everyone's going to walk away um, just having a great time. My goal at the end of the day is for the boater to be like, wow, that was so much fun. I hope that I draw Emily again for, you know, another tournament down the road. So, Well, Emily, that's great information. I think that's it. And we'll be right back to the show. So, Emily, that is okay. great information on do's and don'ts. And there's some things there that, you know, I just take for granted. You know, I never really thought about asking somebody, hey, how do you want your your fish netted? You know, because it's like, put the net behind it, I'll guide it in. You know, I never think about it. But that is, that's some great information. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, bring in your own gear, you know, your own personal flotation device and rain gear, things of that nature. Sure, I, I put them in my boat. But yours is so much more comfortable on yourself. You know, I mean, I have stuff that may not fit and then you're uncomfortable the rest of the day. So that's that's some great information. Um, you know, I hate to even talk about money, but, you know, you've got to talk about it these days. I filled up my boat the other day, and I was uh, just flabbergasted as to how much it costs to fill up the boat. So, again, talking about the money. Yeah. so expensive right now. It's very expensive. And, uh, you know, if you don't do anything else of this list, keep keep a boater's boat clean. You know, they spend a lot of time cleaning that boat. You'd be surprised. Even just with it sitting in the garage, you still have to clean it, vacuum it, wipe things down. So these this is a great best practices document. Again, if you want a copy of it, shoot me an email, gonefishing at pdx.com, and I'll get you a copy of it because it's great. Now I've got a few more I've got a few more things for you that I that I wanted to talk about. And I bet I know the answer to this, but I'm still gonna ask it anyway. Which do you like fishing better, the rivers or the Oregon lakes? 
Well, I like both, <laughs> but I'm definitely more comfortable fishing on rivers. Um, I mean, that's just what we do at Columbia River Bassmasters, you know, but I have definitely attempted fishing lakes before my kayak. I have tried Hag Lake with no success. <laughs> um, and I've also tried um, uh, Silverton Reservoir. Apparently has largemouth bass. So if you've ever caught a largemouth bass there, I want to know about it. Um, and that's only 15 minutes from my house. I've tried there. I haven't had much success. But I did, like like we talked about earlier at 10 miles um, in June, it was post-spawn. It was tough. But um, we did it. We caught fish. It was a great time. Um, on the second day, I'll brag a little bit, but <laughs> on the second day, I had four fish in the live boat, and my boater had one. <laughs> and he was like, I can be the net boy all day long. You know, that's fine with me. So that, that was really fun. He did end up catching two out of five fish that day. Um, but so the lake fishing, I feel like it's just more challenging. And so I like that in different ways. But the river I'm more comfortable with, so I like that in different ways too, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I tend to fish the rivers more than lakes because of learning how to read them. And uh, lake fishing can be exceptionally challenging if you don't know that water. And it takes a lot of time to learn it too. Tell me a little bit now, because you haven't been fishing that many years, like rods and reels, what have you picked up and what are you, what's your uh, favorite and what, what are you, what are you using? Sure. Um, well, starting out, I knew nothing. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty green. And, and so I have a few rods that, um, well, I caught my first bass on a, you know, like a little kid, one with a button, what are those called? <laughs> so I had some of those at first, but um, then I went to Fisherman's Marine in Oregon City and talked to those guys and they helped me pick out some um, some nicer, but they're still on the cheap side, you know, some Daiwa reels and some Daiwa rods. And so those were my workhorses last year. Um, but I've slowly upgraded uh, to some maybe nicer ones I've had. Um, a really nice, I would say, donation to me. Some rods and reels. Somebody gave some to me. Uh, Gary Harrell of TBS. That was so generous of him. He gave me some of his rods and reels that he wasn't using anymore. Um, and those are nice. I have some St. Croix rods um, that I really enjoy using from him. And um, I'm also friends with Tom Hartshorn. I know you discussed on the show. And he is an ambassador for Edge Rods, and he's been – um, talking that brand up and has loaned me their um, drop shot rod and I had the pleasure of using it on Sunday and I texted him right after and I was like, I need me one of these rods. <laughs> so you need to hook me up. <laughs> um, and so I will be, I think, getting a few maybe higher end ones, but I, I do have small kids, so I do have to budget accordingly, but um, I I would love to upgrade some of my my cheaper things and <laughs> I don't go out in the tournament and, and fish with my little kid rods anymore, but I think that they still have a place in my heart. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I I have a couple of rods in my rod locker that people look at and go, you don't really use those, do you? And I go, yeah, I do. Not often, but they're there. Uh, you know, I mean, like I have a 1954 yes. Zebco rod and reel in the locker. I don't use it, but it's there. It's just because I bought it and I like it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it was uh, it's an it's an old one. 
Um, you know, what types of baits do you like to use? Are do you like more crankbait, or do you like plastics? What do you? What have you learned, and what's your go-to? Yeah, absolutely. I I'm more of a finesse girl myself. I really enjoy the soft plastics. Um, being a co-angler, you know, I feel like I had to learn the finesse te- techniques uh, to be able to be more successful on the boat. Um, and so I love drop shot. I think that's probably my favorite, which is great because most boaters and maybe other people don't like drop shot as much because they do get tangled up and they're kind of, you know, finicky to you sometimes. But I, it's my absolute favorite. I've caught my biggest bass on a drop shot. And um, I also really like uh, the Ned rig. Um, <laughs> and I like to use swim baits. Um, and so those are like my three go-tos. But um, my number one favorite bait to use is a Whopper Plopper. Uh, they don't always work super great, but I just love that thing that blow up on the water. Um, on 10 Mile, I had some success with a frog. Um, my, two, my two goals on 10 Mile were to catch a fish on a frog and to also catch a limit because I heard it could be really challenging post-spawn. And so I was able to fulfill those two goals. Um, but I think that... Um, I about fell out of the boat when I successfully uh, set the hook on that frogfish. And I might have been screaming and jumping up and down when we landed. <laughs> it was so exciting. So top water is definitely my favorite. But to be successful, I think it's definitely, for me, the soft plastic finesse techniques. Yeah, absolutely. I I learned on, pl- uh, well, way back, I, I was a crank, crankbait type person. That's all that I learned on. And then... Uh, once we got up to Oregon years and years ago, uh, started learning plastics. And like you, I'm a finesse fisherman. I, I love a, um, a critter, uh, tied on there, Carolina style. And, uh, and I, I have very sensitive rods and reels and it does work very, very well. So, and it's more fun. It's, uh, you know, crankbait, you're throwing it, you're cranking it back in, you know, fish hits it, great. You know, you got it. You know, you know that they're going to eat it, so they're going to get all those hooks in their mouth. But uh, it's a lot more fun to uh, to try to outsmart the fish. What's your personal best, by the way? Um, right now, for a largemouth, it's probably like two and a half pounds, so um, not very big. But for a smallmouth, my personal best is four pounds three ounces, and I caught that on the Celilo pool last year with Bob Judkins, and that was a blast. Um, I caught it on a drop shot, and I was just, you know, he was casting toward the bank, and I was casting away from the bank, and um, I felt that, you know, that weight on the hook, and I set it, and I was like, that's the biggest smallmouth I've ever caught, and we weighed it, and sure enough, it was, so that was pretty fun. That was last fall. Nice, nice. Well, as we start to wrap up the interview, there's, there's always a question that I like to ask folks. And I've always heard that the difference between a good angler and a great angler is attitude. And as a tournament angler, I know that it, it, you probably have inter- encountered some times when fishing becomes, well, the fish become finicky. They're hard to catch, you know, post-spawn. You were talking about that a bit. And it's difficult to maintain your focus. And what steps do you take to keep your edge to help you remain uh, in control of the situation and keep catching fish. I just try to remind myself when the fish stop biting 
that, you know, uh, uh, the reason of why I'm out here, I go back to my why, you know. And the reason I'm out here is to learn and it's also to have fun. And so if I'm doing those two things, um, it's easy to have a good attitude, you know. If you get bogged down with the, oh, my gosh, it's been 45 minutes since we caught a fish. Oh, my gosh, it's been an hour since we've caught a fish. You know, then it's easy to get bogged down in the negativity. So as long as you keep keep that in your sight of, like, wow, I'm out here on this really nice boat um, in this amazing, you know, state that we live in, in this amazing fishery, and maybe I won't catch the fish today, but that's all right because the point is to be learning and to have fun. And I'm always successful um, in getting what I, what I want out of the situation, which is to learn and to have fun as long as I keep those in the center of my mind, you know. And sometimes the fish, they stop biting for a while, you know. At 10 mile, I, I looked over at my boater, Ed, and I'm like, this, this dude, this sucks. Because <laughs> I think it had been like three hours since we caught a fish on the second day. And he, and he looked at me and he's like, I know, you gotta just keep going. And I'm like, all right, here I go. I'm going to skip this weedless go over here now, I guess, you know. Um, but it's also okay to take a break, you know, take, take two minutes and make sure you're staying hydrated, have a bite to eat, and then, all right, go back at it. Like, don't take, maybe not take like 20 minutes or something like that, but, you know, take a few minutes if that's okay, you know, keep your body hydrated. And I think that all of those things together can help you have a successful day, even when the fish are being finicky or not biting as much as you want them to. Well, Emily, that's some great advice. Along with your co-angler practices and how to keep fishing even uh, when the fish aren't biting, this has been a great interview, and I really do appreciate your time. I hope to see you out on the water one of these days, and uh, I hope that you keep building your career. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to see you on the water as well. I'd love to uh, learn more about walleye. That would be fun. So um, I really appreciate you having me on today. It's been so much fun. Well, thanks for stopping by. And again, thank you, Emily. And I hope her good luck in her fishing out there. And if you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends about the podcast. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. Well, this wraps up this episode of Talking Bass and PDX for show ideas or feedback. Email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. I'll have that down in the notes. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX. I will see you on the Batcast. Mm-hmm.